Good morning. So I'm for the visitors. My name is David Darvi, and uh, together with Badnat, I'm one of the elders in the life of this church. And uh, yeah, so I have the the awesome responsibility of leading this congregation as an elder. And uh, yeah, welcome here. So I thought while we were ending worship, it's what's the difference between a Pentecostal church or a, like a, what is a charismatic church and a more traditional church? You know, I'll tell you. So in a, in a traditional church, the minister is well prepared. He knows exactly what he's going to say. Probably knows about a month ahead of schedule. They put it on a little board outside. That's how I know that they're prepared. I don't have to go. And it says, we're going to preach about this. Um, which opens him up a little bit, because actually congregation could do like good students would. They could read the stuff before the time and then check him on it. So they can come prepared. I don't know if they do. They should. Um, in a charismatic church... Uh, it's truly charismatic if I say, you know what, I had a preach, but in worship, God changed it. That's a true charismatic church. <laughs> so, no, God didn't change my preach. <laughs> but it's always, it's funny, if you go to a lot of charismatic churches, you get that very often. It is, it is important that we are open to the Holy Spirit to change us, though. It's also important to be prepared. That's the other part. So we can't use the one as an excuse for the other one. And, uh, but what I am doing is I'm, I'm going to jump. This is not good for, for a prepared preach. I'm going to jump into sort of like three quarters into my preach first. And then I'm going to find my way to the beginning somehow. So I am mixing things up again. Why? Why am I doing that? Because I do want to be led by the Holy Spirit this morning. I do want to have God give him the opportunity to actually lead us this morning. And uh, you, you could say that I should have heard the Holy Spirit last night, right? But I didn't even know what I was going to have for breakfast this morning. Did you? So unless you have the same thing for breakfast every day. But we have to follow the Holy Spirit like that. We have to be open to his prompting in the moment in your life. And that's very much part of, of the Christian life, is to actually follow the Spirit as He leads every step of the way. And He's not going to tell you what He's going to do next. God just doesn't do that. So, it would be boring if we know what would happen next year, I think, as well. We maybe switch off. So, where do I want to jump into it? Uh, I didn't give you that scripture, and I actually don't know where it is. Um, <laughs> But a life lived for Jesus, a life lived for God, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the signs of that, and that's, that's where I want to start a little bit, is one of the signs of that is actually singing to God. One of the songs is actually to worship God and to sing to Him. Why? Because we have so much thankfulness. So, Burst out in song. It, recently it was questioned. It was like, why do we sing? Why do we sing in church? Why do we get together and then we sing? A significant portion of this morning was spent standing up and singing to God. 
Why? Because actually that's one of the, one of the signs that we have the Holy Spirit in us. It leads us to sing in God. It says, when you get together, speak to one, one another with hymns, songs, spiritual songs. And praise God's name together in thankfulness. It's in Ephesians. It's an amazing thing that that is one of the signs of the Holy Spirit. I love music, so to me that comes semi-natural. I was born singing. Um, seriously. <laughs> like we were four kids, we all sang before we spoke. It's like, that was, that was something my mom told us. And uh, so it, it comes naturally. But it's a very big part of us being together. And this morning, if I'm honest, so this is a little bit of a rebuke to all of us. If I'm honest, I'm going to say that uh, worship was okay. Thomas, why did Thomas come and speak to me? So like before we started to preach, because we try and follow the spirit together. So Stephen was leading this morning and or is still leading <laughs> the meeting. And, uh, and, and Thomas was trying to find God's spirit. Like, okay, we've prepared these songs, but somehow it doesn't seem like we are breaking through into the more of God. Somehow there's not the freedom of the Holy Spirit. That's evident. So even the youth this morning was standing like, serious so no <laughs> so think think a little bit how difficult it is for two of us to find the holy spirit leading us into worship if we are standing like this like you're more interactive now than you were in worship <laughs> really and Pouring ourselves out. I mean, if we look at some of the words that we sang this morning, I was looking, looking at some of the words we were singing, and I was thinking, one of the problems with worship music, the, the modern context of worship music for me would be this, that the guys that write this spend their lives, they full-time ministry, they spend their lives on their knees, and they worship God every day of their lives. They practice it. They breathe it, they sing it, they write it. And the words this morning that we sang is coming out of an overflow of somebody's heart worshiping God and serving God. But here we come out of our lives where we work every day and we have to raise our kids and we had to make breakfast this morning and we walk in here and does that song fit our lifestyle? It should. Actually, no, the other way around. Our lifestyle should fit the song. Because we too should be living a life of overflow of the Holy Spirit coming out of us. Of obedience to God. But this morning, I've got to be honest, it didn't look like that for me. If, if that's our best effort, we, we should go home. You know, there's a, Andrew spoke about that on Wednesday. He said, it was in a letter to, 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 to the church, it was written, it said, your meetings do more harm than good. 
Remember that he said that. It's, it's written to the church. The church thought they were doing well. The church, church went like, we're doing great. They get a letter from the apostle. It says, don't meet. Before you met, the kingdom was here. Then you met and now it's here. And it says, more harm than good. So there's some good. Like Mandy said, like, thank you for giving. Thank you for giving and saying, thank you for serving. And that's there. But is it possible that sometimes our meetings could do more harm than good? I think in worship, if we let it go, and this is how we worship every Sunday, it'll get, it won't, we're either getting better or we're getting worse. And unless we get better, we get worse. There's no stationary point in God. There's either I'm getting more and more like Jesus or I'm getting less and less like him. And my worry would be that if we leave it, we as a congregation, we drift slowly into more comfort. And living lives, it'll start with worship on a Sunday, and it'll end up with us living our lives for ourselves every day. So that overflow in the week, and then so that gets me back into what I have in my notes. <laughs> because if it's not there, then we won't see it on a Sunday. So is the worship this morning in our congregation, does that resemble our lives this week? It probably does. Now we have to ask the question, whoa, what do we have to change? So let me, let me start. Ephesians. So Ephesians is a letter in the Bible. It's written to the church of Ephesians. And uh, it's written by Paul. And the, it's a little bit of a Bible lesson of Ephesians. Uh, the, the, the thing that we're going to now, the, the weekend, is 4.12. And it's based in Ephesians. Ephesians 4.12. And we've got that scripture. Let's, let's put it up. Let me just quickly... From I think we started from 11. And Ephesians 4.11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And then until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that 4.12 is... These things are given to do what? To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And he gave those things also for a second reason. So it's, it's equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. That's where, what the gifts are there for. They're also there to do this, for building up the body of Christ. Until what? Until we're different. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a description of the church. So the apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists are not only given for, so that we can do our work as saints, but it's also so that we as the church, as the body of Christ, can become better. And that's what I want to aim at this morning, is actually that second bit. Because we're doing this as church, as a, as a as a church together at the moment on, on Wednesdays, and we're looking at 
as Christians, how do we fit together in church? And that's great because it's very important. It's a thing that's, that's missing in the world today, is a church being in unity and people fitting into church. But what do I look like in that picture? How do I fit into that picture then? Because that's not the focus of this as church, right? So if we turn it around a bit and we look at me, how do I fit? And Ephesians is a great book. It's a great letter if you take the whole Ephesians. So we're going to work through the whole of Ephesians. Um, it shouldn't take us longer than uh, two or three hours. <laughs> it's only got six books, six chapters. <laughs> but uh, no. But I want to quickly look at it. So what is Ephesians about? So it's, Paul writes one to three Ephesians. If you have to put a heading above one to three Ephesians, it would be this, the gospel story. It's amazing. He starts with the gospel story. It is the most important part to hear. What is the gospel story? The gospel story is this, that God, God is great. God is amazing. God the Father is our Father. God the Father loves the world. And he has done an amazing work. He sent his son. And his son died for me. And without that, I was dead. So I was dead in doing everything that was wrong. But Jesus died so that I could live. And then he rose from the dead, Jesus. And that opens the possibility for me to also live. That's the gospel story. We have to hear that first, always. You cannot be part of the church without the gospel. Without first coming to that point where you see, wait a minute, I sinned and I am sinning and I am sinful. And in short, I'm stuffed. I really can't make it. I, I cannot do it. I am dead in my transgressions. transgressions. Can a dead person help himself? You're dead. You're helpless, dead. Not just sick, dead. So it takes a miracle of the Holy Spirit to actually raise a dead person to the point where that dead person realizes I'm sick. And then goes... Save me. And that's a miracle. That is a miracle. Each person that gets to that point in his life that says, I want to give my life to God. God, you come and rule and reign. I'm messing this up. And I can't I can't find my way out of this. And you can't. There's no use trying. You can do everything right. It's not good enough. There's only one thing that can help, and that's Jesus. Jesus died. So that what? We may live. So that you may live. He paid the price that I should have paid. So that I can live. So you can live. That's the gospel story. So now, 
I want, I want to pause here. Because if there's anybody here today that has not given their heart to the Lord, that has not given God full authority over your life, then actually you can't be part of church. You can come on a Sunday and you're welcome. Don't feel that I'm saying you can't come. Please come. Because hopefully somewhere actually you'll still get to know God. Because it is only through those that already have God that the lost can find God. But if you're here this morning and you have not given your heart to the Lord, I'm going to ask everybody here to close your eyes. We normally do this at the end of the church service now. <laughs> but let's not. Let's do it now. There's not a better chance than right now to decide to give your heart to the Lord. So if you've never given your heart to the Lord, if you've never in public said, God, I want to give you my life. God, you be the king of my life. I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand. You've never said that. You've never given your heart. You've said, you, you might, maybe you've prayed that on your own. Maybe in private. But you haven't done that in public. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and say, God, I want you to be the king of my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Is there anybody like that? Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Sure. That's great. That's great. Okay. That means I can go on. So you can, you can look up. So all of us that are sitting here saying either one or two things. Either you're sitting here and you say, I'm not ready, God. And that's okay. God will wait for you. I hope, it, I hope you make it. If you haven't, right? And I'm not thinking of anybody specifically, so I don't think I'm looking at somebody. I'm not looking at somebody. I'm saying, if you haven't done that and you die, you're unsaved. There is no second chance. There's only one chance to actually have a relationship with God forever, and that is while you're alive. But the moment that you stop breathing on this planet, you go, you live forever. Everybody lives forever. That's a given. But then you live from that point onwards without God. And this was one of those points where, where we had a chance to, to say, God, I want to be in. After the preach, if it's you, come to me, because then I can still pray with you. Before you walk out the door and a car drives over you. And you don't get that opportunity. Because that happens. So, I'm going to assume that all of you have made that decision. Because now the rest of the Bible opens up. You know that the Bible doesn't concern, most of the Bible doesn't concern anybody that's unsaved. The Bible only has one message to the lost world. God loves the world and died for you. And you can have a relationship with me. 
It's a gospel story. It's Ephesians 1 to 3. It is just that. That is the only story we have to the rest of the world. And you need to train yourselves as Christians, as followers, as part of the church, to be able to share that gospel message with people. Because that's the only thing you have to share with them. Not you should live differently. Not you shouldn't live together if you're living together. Not you shouldn't be stealing. Not you shouldn't be... Nothing. Yes, is it good to have high moral values? It's better than bad moral values. It is. But as the church, we are not to put that on the world. That's something that only comes once you've actually given your life to the Lord. Then the rest of the Bible starts talking to us. And what does it say? Well, that's the rest of Ephesians. Ephesians 4 on to 6 is... What does a life look like? So Ephesians 4 starts, Paul starts, he says, therefore, actually three ends where Bernard was preaching last week. Bernard was preaching about God's love for us. And it says, Ephesians 3 ends with the gospel story that I hope, I'm praying for you, Paul says, I'm praying for you that you would be filled with God's spirit and with his power. So that what? So you can understand the depth and the length and the height and the width of God's love for you. You need God's spirit to understand that because it's a supernatural thing. You cannot understand God's love without his spirit. And that's the end of of, of Ephesians 3. It's it's speaking to those that have now gone, God, I want you the Lord of my life. And then let's pray for you so you can be filled with his power through his spirit. Four starts with this. Be in unity. Why? Because you have one spirit. You no longer carry the spirit of the world. You don't have a spirit of this, that, and the next thing. Because if I'm unsaved, I'm chasing something other than God, right? So I might be chasing sport. And the next person might be chasing outer beauty. And the next person, perfection in music. And the next guy, money. And the next guy, and that's not unity. That's going to bring a diversive thing among us. So, is it wrong to be beautiful? No, it's great. Please, shower, boys. Use deodorant. I don't have to tell the girls that somehow. (laughs) Is it wrong to strive for excellence? No. No, it's not wrong. Excellence is great. God is excellent. Look at the universe. It's great. But is it second on the list? Is God, am I searching God in excellence? Am I searching God with my talents? And it, there we unite. Woof, God. We're looking for God. We're searching for God. So, one body one spirit. You can put that up. Ephesians 4, 4 to 6. It says, one, one, one. Look at that. It says, one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. One. We are one. We are united in that. Then it goes on to four eleven to 12, which we already looked at. So being one... God gave us tools. He gave us help. So 
We're going to the 412 conference. Why? To go listen to the apostles' speech. They're going to speak into our lives. And if you go, be changed. If you go and you're not going to go to change, don't go. Give your ticket away. Really. We're going to have awesome worship. If you're going to stand like this at 412, guys, everybody will see you. You would be the only one. Worship at the 412 conference, it looks very much like if you have to take the sound away and you just have a video of that, it, it might look like a little bit of like a heavy metal party at times. It does. So the heavy metal guys get into like, the, I don't have long hair, I can't do it. Like, they get into like this thing they call a mosh pit, right? And they shake their heads until their brain knocks on the sides of their heads. I think it can cause damage permanently. And they get euphoria because they're doing that. They don't have to use drugs. they head banging. They go like... I promise you, you do that for 10 minutes and you're going to feel like you drank <laughs> too much alcohol. Don't do it. <laughs> but at times, the worship at 412 almost looks like that. It's amazing. But if we go for that, we've missed it. We're going to devote ourselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the breaking of bread, to learn and to be taught how we should live together as a church and where is God taking us next. That's why we're going. To be taught. Why? Well, one is, I said that, to be able to do our work. What is our work? Well, our work is to spread the gospel. Our work is to share Ephesians 1 to 3 with the people that don't know it. How? Well, we have to be legitimate. We can't share it. My life has to line up with the message I talk, speak, teach. Otherwise, it's, it means nothing. If I live one way and I say something else, then actually I'm nullifying what I'm saying. So if I have an anger issue, I can't speak to you about being self-controlled. Because have you ever thought why, why, why is an elder's children not allowed to be rebellious? You know that, right? You remember that. Timothy says, an elder, appoint elders in the congregation. And one of the limitations is you cannot be an elder if your children are rebellious. Are my children rebellious? Answer truthfully. <laughs> yes. <laughs> His friends are saying, oh, we're going to have to have a serious conversation of this. <laughs> so if I asked him to do something, would he say, no, I won't? And uh, he'll do it. <laughs> Careful. I actually asked, I, I'm being truthful. I actually asked my kids to do something the other day, and Michael said, Dad, I can't. Now, he's too old, so if he's rebellious now, he's not a child anymore. He's a grown-up. <laughs> he is. He's 19 years old. He answers for himself. But it was my fault. I led wrong. I actually asked him something that was, he was right to say, Dad, I can't do that. I wasn't asking him to sin. I was asking him that was difficult for him to do. And he said, Dad, I, I, 
I have to say I can't. I don't think he was rebellious in, in saying he wasn't going to do it. Rebellious is, I don't care what you say, I won't do it. So there's a way of saying, I'm sorry, but what you're asking me is impossible for me to do. Without being rebellious. Why can my kids not be rebellious? My little ones. Nathan. Why, why isn't he allowed? you also too old. You answer for yourself. You die, God's going to not ask you what your dad did. He's going to say, what did you choose? You guys are all too old. Youth? It's not your, it's not your dad anymore. Nah? It's you. You can't ride on the coattails of your parents forever. You can't blame them forever either. It's a sad place this world has become. Where the grown-ups walk around and say, but my mom didn't love me like she should have. That's what Freud brought into the world. Secular humanism. That is, that is the flavor of our world that we're living in. Is that, you know what? I am important and it's all my parents' fault. Somebody else. It's not, just not me. The world is going towards that. that when, when people do crime, when people do something wrong, then we go, you know, it's not his fault, shame. It's, it's everybody else's fault that this guy chose wrong. That's nonsense. We have choice, and we should answer for it. Definitely, if you don't choose God, you're not going to get in front of God's throne room, and he's going to say, ah, oh, shame, it was your parents. It's not going to happen, guys. If the world doesn't ask you to answer for yourself, God is going to ask you to answer for your own choice. Only one choice. Did I choose Jesus? Yes or no? That's a, that's a defining choice. Hmm? Why can't my kids be rebellious? <laughs> Thank you. Because... <laughs> One of the main causes of rebellion is when authority says one thing, but they do another. South Africa, grown-ups, parents, us, we need to be careful that rebellion doesn't grow in our hearts. Because many of the people in authority over us say one thing and they do another. And it could breed rebellion in us. It won't be good for us. God says, Honor the leadership that I placed over you. Not because they're fair and they don't steal and they govern you correctly. He said that when there were horrible kings on earth. The question we should be asking ourselves is, do we deserve better? We think we do, but do we? Do we live in such a way that God would say, for my one servant that lives correctly, I'll change government. We can't change the government. God can. But be careful that we don't breed rebellion in our lives and teach our children the same thing. Be careful what you say and how you say it. Can we say, I'm sorry, but I can't go along with that? Yes. You don't have to be rebellious to disagree. But be careful. That is why an elder's children can't be rebellious. Because it will show that... My life, and what I'm saying this morning, is not adding up. 
And that is one of the reasons why you have to look at what's, what's coming out of you. Those that, that you have firsthand lead, leadership over, are they following in your footsteps? Or are they going that way? And if they are, why, why are they going there and you seem to be going in this direction? Very important for our lives to add up. It's not just eldership whose lives should add up. It's all of us. That's the good news. <laughs> I have support. <laughs> it's not just Badrant and I, or the deacons, or the community leaders. It's all of us, guys. So Ephesians 4 goes on. It doesn't end with apostles and prophets. It actually goes on, and it says this. For the building up of the body of Christ, Ephesians 4, 13, 16. Yeah? Building up of the body of Christ in unity. That picture of the body of Christ is such an important picture in the Bible. It's everywhere. It's not just in Ephesians. Corinthians 12, verse 27 says it as well. It says, you're the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. You can't be a Christian and not be part of the body. The moment that you make God your Lord, you become part of Christ's body. It means that you are in church whether you like it or not. And no, you can't be church on your own. Because the Bible also says, well, obey your leaders. Because God has placed them over you. How are you going to obey your leaders if you decide to have church on your own, in your own backyard, or just at the restaurant having coffee with my friends? Is that an expression of part of the church? Yes, but it can't be church. Unless you're part of a church, and I know I'm preaching to the converted now, but <laughs> but you, you get that. That is part of what Andrew was saying, is that, it's not a, you don't have a choice. The moment that you become a Christian, you become part of God's body. The problem is if my finger decides that it's going to go on a walk on its own. And now I'm disabled. And as a part of God's body, yeah, our congregation, forget the rest, just us. How disabled are we? Or how able-bodied are we? So, Malcolm Marx, as the prop, as the hooker, was the hooker. Malcolm Marx, in the, we look, watching the Springboks play this afternoon. Malcolm Marx will not be on the field. Why not? He's got a knee injury. But he's fit. He's practiced. He was part of the squad that, that won the, the World Cup last time. He is super fit. That oak is so strong. I think you can hit him with a pole. He'll get up again and not know about it. Right? Unbelievably strong. Except they were practicing and his knee got caught in between two guys and they rolled over wrong and now his knee is injured. It might take him out of Ratby forever. He might never come back from a knee injury. Right? Now... But why can't he be in the team? He's so fit, strong. Arms are strong, head knows the rules, has the game plan. Well, he can't be in the team because his knee is injured. That's, that's bad. 
So one little bit. It's probably not his whole knee either. I'm not a doctor. We have one doctor here that can explain it to us. But it's probably not his whole knee. Maybe it's just a cross ligament. You know, maybe it's not even the bone. Maybe it's just a little muscle that's torn or something in his knee. But that one little bit that's dysfunctional in Malcolm Marx is going to keep him off the field. He cannot do what he trained to do. He cannot fulfill the purpose for which he flew hundreds of kilometers, thousands. He's dedicated so much of his time to be able to do it. And now, sorry, that one little ligament's gone. You can't go. Are you the ligament of Josh Jen Oetzeren that's torn? That's keeping Josh Jen Oetzeren off the field this morning. Because you could be. It's an amazing message that we are part of something. And that's great to hear, isn't it? That I belong. I matter. God chose me. God chose you. You belong. You are necessary. It's great to hear that. The challenge is, as much as that is true, it is we need you. All of us need one another, and each one needs to do its bit. And if there's one bit that's not doing its bit, the whole body suffers. Have you ever had a little thorn in your finger? Like if you eat... Um, it's a Turks fire, uh, prickly pears. If you eat prickly pears, when you, like, you get that little thorn in your, you can't even see the thorn in your finger, but that disables you. Huh? You can't go on with life before it's removed. You try everything, you bite it, doesn't work. <laughs> like, oh, it's still there. And then you think it's gone, and then it's like, oh, it's still there. You know, that little thorn that you can't see in your finger can disable the whole body. Stop my whole body from doing what it should be doing. Can't concentrate. Because there's a little thorn in my one finger. The smallest thing this morning in your life could stop the whole church from walking in its destiny. That's just Justin Oetzeren. Do you know that we are not the body of Christ? We just form part of it. What about the whole of Justin can't walk into what God has for us? How about the whole 412 movement across the globe? Now I've gone from 100 to 5,000 to 10,000 people. Cannot do what God can do because one of us is missing it. You get it, how important it is that you get it right. What does a life look like lived for God? It's not just the worship. <laughs> this is not just about this morning's worship. This has got way more in it than that. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna go through this quickly because we could teach an hour on every one thing now that I'm going to mention, or more. So Ephesians 4 verse 17 says this, just to support what I've been saying. It says, 
Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. That's us, non-Jews. In the futility of their minds. In other words, it's like your, your brain is worthless. Futility. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Those are harsh words, aren't they? That's talking to us, the Gentiles. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. I'm going to pause there. Assuming. Big word. Paul is saying he assumes that the church, us in this case, has been taught to do the right thing. And you might be sitting here this morning and thinking, but I've been taught. Have you? Have you been taught right? I'm going to tell you, I was taught wrong in a church when I was little. Here's what I was taught. I was not allowed to smoke until I was 18. Somehow, sin became okay if you were 18 and above. That's the world I grew up in. The, the elders, the deacons, the leaders in the church, they all smoked. But I was not allowed to smoke. Somehow, as a child, I had to be pure. But when I grew old enough, I could be impure. Sin was okay for old people. Is that what you've been taught? If you're my age, that's what you've been taught. I want to teach you differently this morning. Smoking is a sin. It's wrong. If you still smoke, you have to stop. When? Today. Will it be hard? Probably. Depending on how long you've been smoking. But you should stop. Drinking too much is a sin. But I was taught differently. I wasn't allowed alcohol when I was a kid. But many parents, not mine, but many parents actually had wild parties where they drank together and where they swapped out partners. And some of them were leaders in the church. Because it was okay to sin. Some of you are shocked. <laughs> it happens in this town. Now you're shocked even more. <laughs> because somehow, as a child, I have to be pure. But when I grow up, it's okay to sin. It's not. So have you been taught correctly? Are you being taught correctly? Not in everything. You have, can't presume that you actually know the truth this morning. You have to question your reality. Let's go more subtle than the obvious big sins, which I think are obvious. How about living for myself? So as a child, I was taught that I had to share with my brothers and sisters that... I had to share with my friends in school that I had to be nice. But when I grew up, I learned that it was okay to do anything to get ahead in business. I was taught that at university. 
everything is fair in love and war. And business is war. I can steal, I can cheat, as long as I just don't get caught by SARS. <laughs> or the FSCA, or the next body that rules. But everything is game. I can be unscrupulous in business, as long as I make money. That's okay. It's not, it's not true. It is not okay. This morning, I, I need to teach you differently. Are you hearing that? That it is not okay. You should live your life for God. What does that look like? Not like that. So lies. And let's look, Ephesians 4.17 goes on. It says, in 22, it says, you need to put off your old self. So, disregarding whether your parents taught you well or not. I'm going to tell you, inherent in your heart is selfishness. Without Jesus in your life, this stuff is there with or without good or bad teaching. You will default to go the wrong route. So what does, what does God say? He says, put off your old self. That's me. It's not what I was taught. It's actually me. Sad story. <laughs> it says, take it off. And then what does it say? It says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Corrupt. And then in 24, it says, do, do what? Put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You can be righteous and holy. But not on your own. You're going to need God's spirit. That's why, one, two, three, remember? We went, the gospel story. You need to be saved. Filled with God's power, spirit. And now you have... Now you can do that. And you should. Take off. I've got blue. That looks different, doesn't it? Picture just changed. Blue to red. Take off. Put something on else. Be different to the world. Be different to who you were. Is the requirement. And then he lists it, Paul. Go, I want you to go read it for yourself. Right? But he says, lies gets changed by truth. So if at the moment we are telling lies, we should replace it. Not by silence, but by the truth. If you get angry, what should you replace with? Peace. If you're stealing, you should be giving away. You should be generous. If you gossip, you should encourage. I thought about that gossip thing. What was it? So, gossip is a, is a really bad thing. So, gossip is when I see somebody else doing something probably wrong. Or not so cool, and I tell somebody else about it. That's gossip. Encouragement is if I see somebody doing something wrong, same thing, and I go to them and I encourage them to do the right thing. That's the change from from gossip is talking about and, and encouragement we'd be talking to. 
So be careful. We have holy gossip in the church. Yeah? We think that we're sharing this to encourage others, but are we sharing it about me or about somebody else? Question yourself on everything that before you say it. It's very important, especially in the life that we live now. It's like, if I'm going to share something with you to encourage you, am I sharing something of somebody else's life or my life? Because it's easy to use somebody else rather than me. I've done enough stuff wrong so I can just use my life (laughs) to encourage. Say, like, God has overcome this stuff in me. I was thinking this morning, if some of my mates from school and after university had to listen to this message online, because it does get posted online, they would go like, goodness, what happened to that guy? It's not the same person. Sounds like him a little, but that's not him. I was horrible. I lived a horrible life without God. I was selfish, insecure, self-centered, and I enjoyed sin. I didn't do anything because I didn't like doing it. I enjoyed sin. I reveled in it. I rolled in the poo and called it good. But God, but God broke into my life. Where would I be without God? My story, very quickly, dead. Not spiritually dead. I would be dead if God didn't stop me. That's another story. Gossip turns into encouragement. Revenge turns into what? Forgiveness. Promiscuity turns into self-control. Drunkenness, and I'm going to add to drunkenness, drugs. Because when this was written, I think substance abuse wasn't as wide as it is today. Any form of drugs turns into what? This is amazing. God's spirit. Fill yourself with God's spirit. Allow God to fill you with his spirit. And you won't need cannabis. Or magic mushrooms. Or nicotine. Or alcohol. Or what are the other things? Just plain old food that we can buy and pick and pay in checkers. Could be the thing that we give ourselves to. Yes. But fill yourself with God's Spirit. Allow God's Spirit to come into you and fill you. And you will not need. It is second rate to get drunk on wine. It is second rate. It cannot get to the, to the absolute experience of God's Spirit in you. And then you'll know that you've got it when you break out in song and dance. When your life becomes a musical, eh? <laughs> That's just for Michael. <laughs> he loves musicals. <laughs> if your life has a theme song, then you know you've got the spirit. And it could be simply the best. 
It could be. <laughs> if you sing Tina Turner to God, it is, God is simply the best. You can. <laughs> I think we need to do simply the best as a worship song, at least once. And you can lead it. <laughs> Mandy. We'll tell your kids they don't have to come. <laughs> that was out loud. <laughs> we'll spare you. <laughs> Paul gets really into it after this. This is just the surface level stuff. Guys, go read it. It is it's Ephesians four seventeen onwards. He goes into family then. What does our household look like? Husbands and wives. There's the big Christian word that says what? Wives be submissive. It's like a swear word. Isn't it? It is if the husband doesn't read further. Husbands, you die for your wife. You should wash your wife daily in the word. Yeah. You should read scripture over your wife daily. You should lay down your life as a husband for your wife. That's a good husband. How hard would it be for my wife to be submissive to that? To, to a husband that searches God with all my heart, all my soul, everything. That's all I want is God. What would that do? Fill me with his spirit. I would have love overflowing out of me. And then, then it says, wives, just be submissive to that. I think we can make it really easy or very hard for our wives, guys. It goes on to kids. Children, be obedient. Be obedient to your parents. Most of the kids are not here. <laughs> you guys, you're mostly growing up, no? Young adults. It's, I hope you were obedient to your parents. It's a little while still that you need to be obedient. There's a sense of that your parents are fulfilling another role of, of leading you as you grow up. One which you still should be listening to if you're wise. One that you should still be following, if you're wise. But just straight on obedience is not really there anymore for youth. It's actually now a little bit more significant. It's valuing your parents' input. It's allowing them to keep on leading you. Even though you might be growing older than that. Then there's a part that says bond servants and masters. Do we have that still? Bond servants and masters. I'm going to say anybody that signed a contract to work for a boss is a bond servant. That's most of us. Has a contract out. Bond servants and masters. He speaks about employees and employers and says how the employee and the employer should be towards each other. Now, if you're a Christian and you're reading this, it is not for you as an employee to go tell your boss what he should be like. <laughs> you can only read the bit that it says how you should be 
as a bondservant toward, towards the master. If you're as lucky as I am to have a boss that is a Christian, well, now I can start thinking, well, at least I can hope that he's going to read this bit as well and be like that to me. Read this for yourself, not for the other person. Wives, if you have a terrible husband, well, you don't have a get-out-of-jail-card-free. You still have to be submissive. Children, if you have terrible parents, if they're ungodly, well, you still have to be obedient. Yeah? Not when they ask you something to do that's wrong. Then you can, then you can say, humbly say, I'm sorry, but I can't do that. And it's in, it's in a place of submission. It's not in a place of rebellion. It's, it's, I can't do that. I can't. God won't allow me to do it. And I have to answer to him first. If we do this, guys, if we take off the old every day and put on the new, every day you take off the old and you put on the new, then we would live lives that are worthy of our king. If we spend every morning on our knees next to your bed, asking God's spirit into your life for the day, filling yourself with his presence first, and then going on with the rest of your day, then we can be truthful, peaceful, generous, encouraging, forgiving, and self-controlled, and filled with God's spirit. And that is a requirement for each one of us here today. For the church global, now I'm taking it from 412, 10,000 people to the whole church. The entire Christian church can be hampered by one thing I do. I could be that little thorn in the finger that stops the body from operating on earth and from the gospel to spread to the ends of the world and for somebody to get saved. If I don't stop whatever it is in my life that's wrong. You get how much is riding on you quitting smoking. Or stop eating too much chocolates. Yeah? Or actually just spend time in God's word, maybe, that we not, might not be doing. It's a high bar, and we need God's spirit. So how do I land this? I want to land this by asking God's spirit for us to come into us. Because we all said earlier that, you know what, I have asked God to be my Lord and Savior. We all said that. So this morning, I want to pray for us that we would be filled with God's spirit and his power. So that we can understand how big his love is. How wide, how, how deep, 
how high and how long. His love is. Why? Because it's only in love that we're going to overcome all those things in our lives. Can I ask you to stand? Father God, this morning, Lord, we see that the task is huge. The work that you've given us, Lord, is beyond our capability. Father, even just managing ourselves would be hard to do, Lord. We need your power. So, Father, like Thomas did this morning before church, I want to ask you for your spirit this morning. Lord, come and pour your Holy Spirit out over each one of us this morning. Come and fill us to overflowing with your spirit. But Father, we don't want to be, we don't want to be the end time church that resembles something of church but lacks your power. Father, your spirit is the power to change my life and each one of our lives. Father, come and change us. Come and give us the power to change. Holy Spirit, come and enable each one of us to face whatever it is that we need to work on next. Holy Spirit, please keep on reminding us what it is. Father, I want to pray for the areas in our lives this morning that's grown calloused, that can't feel the Holy Spirit anymore. Father, maybe we, maybe we grew up and thinking that that's okay. Holy Spirit, this morning, would you reveal those areas in our lives where we even think it's okay, where we think we're doing well, but we are not. Come, Spirit, now. Come and just flow over each one of us. Govern our lives. Direct our steps. Make us hungry for your word. Make us hungry to follow you, God. Father, I pray for each and every person here that we would become imitators of you. That we would be worthy of imitation ourselves. Now, Lord, come and change whatever that area is this morning that the Holy Spirit has spoken into our lives about. Into the opposite spirit. Into your spirit. Come change lies into truth. Come change anger into peace. Stealing into generosity. Gossip into encouragement. Revenge into forgiveness. Promiscuity. Living a wrong life sexually. Into a life of self-control. Drunkenness and substance abuse, Lord. Would you replace that with your spirit this morning? Through your power, Lord. Would you replace that with your spirit? Now, Father, come and fill our hearts with a new song. Come and fill our lives 
with a beat that's just you, Lord. So that the rhythm that we walk at would be visibly you and no, no longer the world, Lord. Come and change the tune of our lives into your tune. Yeah. Amen.